praise God. It's so good to see everyone this morning and have an opportunity to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and, and just trust him this morning and all the days of our life. It's so good to see a lot of our young people and those that are returning from his hill. So good to have you back. Heard y'all had a great time. Mass on and mass off. So hallelujah that everybody made it back. Let's just take a moment glorify the Lord together. If you would just bow your heads with me and let's just thank God for his goodness and his grace. Father, we just thank you so much for this day that we have. Father, we thank you for being so good to us. Father, we thank you for bringing us to this place, whether we're here in person or online, that we would, could hear from you, that your word would stir up in us mightily. And Father, we thank you for all of our visitors, our guests, our friends, and our family, that we would be fitly joined together. Father, we ask that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and Father, prick our hearts that we may know that you are speaking to us in a mighty and a true way, and that we would trust you all the days of our life. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So, just want to share with a few things with you today, and I have a couple thoughts. What I'm centers around our, our thinking. Does everybody in here think? And maybe a parent would say not all the time, pretty much every day, and that we continue to run through our mind is that we think about a lot of different things. Would you say that, that we think about a lot of different things? A lot of different, whatever it is, situations in life, studying uh, the Word of God or studying in our academic, but there's a lot of thoughts that goes through our mind. And so I guess my question is to you, are they always positive? I don't see any hands going up. And so sometimes there can be negative thoughts, right? That we can think negative things. And negative things can, to a certain extent, cause us to spiral or to, to miss truth and a lot of times believe something that's not true or believe a lie. And so those negative thinking can cause us to make decisions or, or take actions that we wouldn't normally take, that we wouldn't normally respond in a certain way. And so we see in the scriptures that it reminds us of how we should think. When we think about Philippians 4, around the 6th to the 10th verse, it tells us a couple things. Paul's talking and, he's, and, and he says these things. He says, be careful for nothing. Okay? And when we think about that word, careful for nothing, it means that we don't allow things to get out of, out of sorts, that we don't get anxious, that we're not anxious for anything that happens in our lives, around our lives, to our lives. And he says, be careful for nothing. And then he says, because we have the peace of God. And that peace of God will keep our hearts and minds. It'll keep our heart and mind if we let it. Then he goes on and he says, think on these things. He says, think on what's true. Think on what's a good report. Think on what's pure. He reminds us to think on these things. And then he says, when we're thinking on these things, God will be with you. God will be with you. We won't run from him. We won't be away from him. We'll be right with him. 
and we're thinking from a passage of scripture, which is that just because there's a lot of things in our society that we can really uh, be negative about, especially in this day and time. And that it can carry like a wave, it can carry us away and cause us to start thinking about things that God doesn't want us to think about. And not only think about those things, it, it can cause us to start thinking about those three primary figures in our life if we're not careful. Me, myself, and I. Anybody ever been there? Me, myself, and I. And if we're not careful, when we spend too much time thinking about me, myself, and I, we can exalt ourselves above the knowledge of God. And in a sense, we become Lord of our lives. And just like the Greek poet Invictus wrote, he said, I am the captain of my faith. I'm the master of my soul. We can get caught up in that. And before we know it, we allowed ourselves to lead God and direct us. And so it's so important that we hold on to the truth of God's word. So I'm going to ask you for a moment, just turn with me to Exodus, the third chapter, verse 11 and 12. Exodus, the third chapter, verse 11 and 12. And we're going to be looking at Moses and his time with the Lord and how the Lord is commissioning Moses. He's calling Moses to go back and deliver his people, the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt. And here's what Exodus, the third chapter, verse 11 and 12 says. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. The emphasis on the words, what Moses responded was, who am I. The title of this message is, I am not the Lord. I am not the Lord. So let's take a moment to just look back at what Moses is going through. So Moses was born in Egypt, the king of that day. He was so afraid of the Messiah coming and ruling and taking over Egypt that he's all of the kids of two years old. God helped, made it so that Moses would be spared, that Moses not only would be spared, but that he grew up in the king's house, in Pharaoh's house. And so Pharaoh raised him as pretty much his own son, and we understand that he probably went to some pretty good schools. He was probably educated by some very intelligent people that day. And he was given riches and, and nice things to have. And so we know that there was a time when he found out this story that he was of Israel. And that God spared him that after he had killed an Egyptian that he was able to run away. And he met his father-in-law Jethro. He was able to have a family and he was able to grow in his relationship with his wife and his family and God changed his circumstances and blessed him over and over and over again. 
and put a calling on his life and showed him that he was with them. And we even see times where the burning bush came and God spoke out of the burning bush and Moses felt his presence. And so God had done all these things for Moses and showed him who he was and been with him through his entire life. And then he comes to this point where God says, now Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen their sorrow. Their faces are ever before me. I want you to go. I'm sending you so that my people will be set free. And Moses' response was, who am I? As I think about that, I think about so often we may ask that question, who am I? And we spend time looking at our circumstances, our strengths, our abilities. And if we're not careful, just like Moses, we will say, who am I? God didn't stop just right there. He started showing Moses a couple things. He showed him that the staff that he had in his hand, he asked him to throw it on the ground. And as he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent. And Moses jumped back from it and and God told him to pick it up, and he picked it up, and it returned to a staff. God asked him to take his hand and put it in his bosom, and as he put his hand in his bosom, he pulled it out, and it was white as snow. He asked him to put it back. And God told the people, I will be with you. And if they don't believe, I'll show signs and wonders. He said, even the water that you dip in, dip in this water, and he's turned the water into blood. He's life forevermore. And so as we continue on in the story, we see some things happening here. As we go down to verse 4 of chapter 4 in Exodus, it says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord have not appeared unto thee. And then we go a little bit farther in verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech. And slow of tongue. So Moses started sharing all the things that he's not. That he spent a lot of time looking at me, myself, and I. That his perspective and feelings about himself was, who am I? How could you do any great work through me? And my own might. And my own ability. So much so when he was confronted with compelling evidence and truth about the power of God for us, in us, and through us. That he still held on to his own might. Even after God demonstrated that the serpent was turned into a rod, the hand in his bosom came from snow to flesh and the water into blood. Moses responded, I am 
See, he didn't have the natural gift of speech. And he even indicated here that he didn't even, hadn't even developed it after God had started speaking to him. However, this same man, through the course of life, we see a scripture found in Acts, the 7th chapter, the 22nd verse, where Stephen, at the point of death, when he was speaking to the Jews, and he was proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, he responded and he spoke of Moses. He says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. See, God, Stephen had meditated on the words that had came from Moses, and he said it was mighty. See, they both were correct. Moses said he wasn't enough. He had a negative perspective. Stephen said he was mighty in word and deed. See, it tells us this, that the power is not in us, but the power is in God. See, Moses did not have the gift of speaking, but the Moses' words spoke with power. Because it wasn't his words, but it was God's words. That God had spoken through him. And Stephen had heard God in his power and his wisdom through the mouth of Moses. See, where we're weak, he is strong. Where we are insufficient, he's all sufficient. So why do we seem to continually be challenged with negative or defeated thinking? Have you thought about that? See, I believe it happens when we don't understand and we uh, overlap our role with God's role. When we don't understand our role and we overlap our role with his role. So I want to get at the root cause of this. I want to spend a few minutes talking about the lordship of God and the stewardship that he's called us to. See, lordship, as we look at the biblical text of lordship, it means to acknowledge the lordship of Christ, not ours. And we acknowledge that him having power and authority over us as lords. And we recognize that he is Lord. And we willingly submit to his authority and his discipline. That we allow him to be Lord. Not us, but him. See, which is the reverse of stewardship. See, stewardship means that we submit to the following of Christ as Lord. And we utilize and manage all the resources God has provided for his glory and for the betterment of his creation. All mankind. We follow the Lordship of Christ and we utilize the, all the blessings all the resources, and we be good stewards with what he has given us. As we look in the scriptures found in the book of Matthew, the 26th chapter, we see that every single disciple except one 
called Jesus Lord. When he said one would betray me, they said, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? But one, the man Judas said, Master, is it I? Judas refused to submit to Christ's authority and discipline. That word submit seems to bother so many folks. You ever been there? Maybe there's a lady or two that can identify with that. As though it implies forcing yourself to do the bidding of someone who delights in your misery or unhappiness. If we're not careful, we take that same idea when it comes to our relationship with God. And we resist allowing Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. See, Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to be the Lord of your life. You don't have to labor and try to do it for yourself. He says, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. So let's do a test. Everybody want to do a test right now? You ready? Let's do a test on who's Lord. So I'm going to describe some of God's characteristics. And as I describe some of God's characteristics, I'm going to give some key points associated with that characteristic. And maybe, just maybe, you identify with some of those. You ready? Let's take a moment. So we all know that God is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing, that he knows all, that he sees all, that he is all wise. So the question today is, do you need to be the smartest one in the room? Do you strive to show how much you know to others? Do you argue or debate even when you feel that still quiet voice saying, stop it? Do you think that most people are not very smart? Are you open to people giving you guidance, or do you get irritated or offended and immediately start preparing your answer? Do you use the phrase, I know a lot? Do you often find yourself, after reading a Facebook post, thinking, what an idiot? Overwhelming desire to correct or clarify their understanding. Well, maybe nobody identify with any of those. Maybe this next one. We know that God is omnipresent, that he's all present, that he's all things to all people. He is everywhere at all times. So do you try to do all things for all people? Do you have a hard time saying no and try to do it all? Do you have this overwhelming desire to fix things? Do you run yourself ragged trying to be at everybody's birthday, anniversaries, showers, meetings, plays, baptisms, etc., etc., etc.? When you open your bag, is there more stuff that belongs to others than that belongs to you? Anybody? Maybe this third and last one. We know that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He holds power. He holds this world in his hand. 
Do you try to control just about everything in your life? Do you like to have as much order as possible? Do you get agitated when things don't go the way you expected? Do you consistently think, if I don't do it, it won't get done? Do you have trouble asking for help? Would others say you try to control them or force your way on them? I see a couple of smiles. So how did you do? Who's Lord? See, when this mindset gets in, our lordship changes from him to us. We become dissatisfied because we are trying to be Lord, which is impossible. There is only one Lord, one Father. See, this heaviness of lordship is applied and felt. Just like Moses felt it and he said, who am I? I am not enough. See, God never wanted him to think that it was all on him. God responded to him. He said, I will be with you and I will help you. That I want you to do your part as a steward, being willing to go. As I command you. See, Matthew eleven thirty in this same portion, Jesus spoke. My teachings, my word my, that I'm pouring into you is easy and is light. Follow me. Let me be Lord. Don't try to do it for yourself. See, this is instructive for, instructive for us because we are similar. We tend to ask, who am I? Or what can I do? The answer is that God has called the weak of this world. We see that in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 26th through the 27th verse. And all we have to offer him is our lives and a willingness to be used of him. See, it says there that not many wise, not many mighty, called, but God has chosen the weak to confound the world, that he wants us to follow him. See, Paul's thoughts on Christ's lordship was this, as we see in Romans, the 14th chapter, verse 8 and 9, it says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's and not the other way around. We belong to him. And so Paul shared the approach that Jesus took in Philippians 2, verse 5. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, with all power, with all authority. And so as, as born-again believers, we have gifts, talents, abilities. We have authority that's been given to us by God, but, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant. See, Jesus submitted himself to the lordship of God. For God to lead God and direct. It goes on to say, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. See, when we make him Lord, we give away ourselves. That we're no longer alive to ourselves. But ourselves is dead in Christ. Galatians 2.20, but Christ liveth in me. I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who cared for me and gave himself for me. The life that we now live, we live by the faith in the Son of God. See, the role of a steward is a submitted role. That we submit to the authority of God. We submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we utilize and manage all the resources God has provided. We use them wisely as good stewards. And not for our betterment, but for the betterment of the whole world. God's created us for. See, God wanted to prepare Moses, and he, wanted to and he wants to prepare you and I. But before any preparation, first comes obedience. He asked Moses to be obedient. He commanded Moses to go. And then God teaches and provides. Look at verse 12 in Exodus, the fourth chapter. In Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse 12, it says, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Don't look upon yourself. Don't look at your abilities. Allow yourself to be obedient to me. And I'll teach you. And I'll be with you every step of the way. See, he did not prepare the way first. He did not make it all perfect for Moses. And he doesn't make it all perfect for us. So that we can decide, now I'm ready to follow. He says, go. Be obedient. And I'll prepare the way. When I think about this illustration, I think about parents that are so busy preparing the road for their children that we forget it's more important to prepare the children for the road. That we prepare obedient hearts, submitted hearts, that our mind wouldn't get in the way, that we allow God to keep our mind and our hearts because we're thinking on him. We're thinking on whatsoever is good, whatsoever is holy, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever the Lord says. We do. In verse 13 of Exodus 4, and he said, here's God saying, Moses, now therefore go, and I'll be with you. Moses, now forego, and I'll teach you. And Moses, with the hand of whom thou wilt send. See what that translated means. 
thou should sin or thou shouldest sin. See, at that moment, Moses put himself back as Lord. He said, God, you're wrong. You're not supposed to send me. You're supposed to send Aaron. See, sometimes it can be overwhelming, the task that's before us. And we can feel like we're not equipped and we're not ready and we're not able. And those thoughts can run through our mind and they can seem heavy and they can seem daunting. And God reminds us, stay focused on who's your Lord. You see, God sees way more than we will ever see. God knows more than we will ever know. And God sees what he's shaped and fashioned in each and every one of you. And so verse 14 tells us this, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. See, God is saying some things to Moses there. He's saying, Moses, it's not about your ability. It's not about your power. See, you're allowing me to be in your presence. You're allowing me to pour inside of you. And so as Aaron comes, he sees more in and through you of God than you probably see in yourself. That you're impacting his life. He comes, he sees you, and he's glad. See, that's a, that, that, that word glad means he's joyful, he's excited. There's something about you, Moses, that's on the inside of you, that comes out of you, and it's not about how well you speak, it's not about how smart you are, but it's all about me. And he knows that you serve me, that you love me. And coming into your presence makes him glad. Isn't that then how eloquent, how great you may sound? How sharp and how many great grades you can get? God continues in verse 15, and thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. See, God is laying this process out. He's saying, you're pouring into Aaron. And as I pour into you, there are those around you that are impacted. There are those around you that lives are transformed because they're able to hear me through you. See, this should really speak to us, saints. So often we get caught up and all the stuff that we're not. And we miss all the things that God says we are. 
and the impact that we could have on others. He said, let me pour through you. And watch what I do. Maybe you, you're not that guy that does all the fishing. But you're the guy that teaches someone to fish. And there's a ripple effect. See, they're fed for a lifetime. And maybe they share that with someone else. And it continues to grow because you allowed me to work through you. You reminded yourself that it's in him we move and breathe and have our being. You trusted in his unchanging hand. And the impact that was seen upon the world was great because of one. See, it started with Jesus Christ. But it continues with you and I. The impact that we can have when we remind ourselves that we are not the Lord, that he is. The question today is, does your perspective need to change? I don't trust in myself, but I trust in him, the risen Savior. I speak to myself as David said, and as Solomon said in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Let God be Father, let Jesus be Lord, and you live in him as a good steward. So I encourage you, saints, live in the Lord. It's not that he possesses us, but that we live in him. Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalms 27 said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, the theology of the Bible is deeply personal. Is my shepherd. Is my light. Is my salvation. By glorious and mysterious grace, Your life has been connected to the one who is light, who is salvation, who is strength. And he wants to do a great work in each and every one of us. That we no longer would keep our eyes fixed on me, myself, and I, but only on him. That we would trust him that we would hold on to him, that we would know that he is Lord, that he is God. It is he that have made us and not we ourselves. We are his people 
and the sheep of his pasture. And now we're running after him. We follow him. We trust him all the days of our lives. We don't keep our eyes fixed on ourselves, but only on him. We don't allow ourselves to be all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. But we sit in his presence. Trust him all the days of our lives. And you watch. Maybe you have that moment where you're saying, I'm not eloquent. I don't know what to say because God has said go. He meets you at the very point of your need. He gives you the words to say. He gives you the love to show. And maybe you, like me, have been in that moment and you felt like you just needed to say something. Anybody been there? And he reminds us to wait on him. To serve him. To trust him. And at the right time, at the right moment, he'll give you the words to say. And it won't come out forced. It won't come out hard and and feel like you're forcing it. It'll be the right time and the right season. And he'll get the glory because he is Lord. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy.